we're doing this series, why do we believe that? And uh, today the question is, why do we believe that God gives us new life in baptism? Why do we believe that? We say that. We say baptism washes away sins, the beginning of the new life, so that's where we receive the Holy Spirit. Why do we believe that? A lot of people don't believe that. We have a lot of different, you know, uh, Christian groups down for the past 2,000 years, and a lot of different views on baptism have morphed and evolved and come out. Why are we sitting around saying, no, it's, it's, it's a new life that begins at baptism? Why do we believe that? Well, I want to go back to the principle we've been using for this whole series. I want to start right there. First, all Christian faith comes from what the Word of God plants in our hearts. On this question, just like anything else, what's the nature of baptism? What does it do? On this question, just like anything else, we have to go back to the Word of God. That's where our faith comes from. We aren't smart enough. However smart we think we are, we are not smart enough to figure this God stuff out for ourselves. God needs to talk to us. And so on this topic, like every other topic relating to our faith, we have to let the Word of God speak to us. Now, talking about baptism, some of these other topics that we may address later, they make us nervous because they are points of disagreement. And they're not points of disagreement with people who don't believe in Jesus. They're often points of disagreement with people who do believe in Jesus. And that makes us uncomfortable. What am I supposed to do? You are supposed to tell to the best of your ability what the Bible says. And that's what you're supposed to do. Because faith comes from the Word of God. And so you, to the best of your ability, and you're fallible, I'm fallible, we're all fallible, but to the best of your ability, you need to speak the Word of God on this topic and on every other topic. You do not need to speak your Word. You do not need to speak your mom and dad's word or your church's word or any other word. You need to speak the word of God. And you need to make sure that you don't do anything that gets in the way of people hearing the word of God. Think back to a time when you changed your mind religiously. You, you, you thought one way, it was you thought you were pretty right, and, and, and you changed. Almost always, if you analyze that, you'll realize you changed because in some way you were brought in contact with the truth of God's Word. Maybe you read it for yourself. Maybe somebody explained it to you in a new way. Maybe you saw connections you hadn't seen before. It's the Word of God that grounds and creates our faith. Now, what if someone at the beginning of your process of changing your mind had come up to you and said, Ha ha, you're wrong, I'm right. Would that have helped you or hurt you in your effort to understand God's Word? 
So you understand what I mean when I say our duty is to proclaim God's word, not to proclaim our own egos, not to proclaim our own, you know, our church is right, yours is wrong. None of that is going to be really helpful. What our task is, is to proclaim God's word because faith comes by hearing God's word. And so I want to give you four brief words this morning, all of which are grounded in God's Word. Romans 6, 1 through 3 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? When you are baptized, God kills your old life of slavery to sin. One of the reasons why I think God picked baptism, maybe He could have picked lots of other things, one of the reasons that God picked baptism is because it illustrates the nature of what needs to happen. At the end of a wedding ceremony... What do we have the husband and the wife do? They exchange rings. They make vows. And they do kiss. You nailed it. It's my favorite part. They kiss. What if we said, you may now slap each other? What would that symbolize about the nature of what we thought marriage was about? We kiss because that symbolizes what the relationship's all about. God is symbolizing what the nature of the relationship the sinner has to him is. He says, take your life and go and bury it. Have it killed. Have it buried. And I, in my mercy, will raise you back up. That's what's going on in baptism. One of the reasons we resist forms of baptism of pouring or sprinkling or anything like that. I mean, I know that sounds sort of like we're being really picky, but one of the reasons is because baptism is about dying. It is about you being so messed up that God has to kill you in order to give you the kind of life that you need. Baptism kills your old life of slavery to sin. That's actually a key theme of the rest of chapter 6. Go, I invite you, go and read it yourself and figure out what Paul is doing in chapter 6 of Romans, because that's really what he's talking about. Slavery to sin is over because of what happened to you at baptism. Let's keep reading down just a little bit further. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. And then down in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death 
to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Here's truth number two from God's word about the nature of baptism. When you are baptized, God gives you new life of becoming like Christ. When you are baptized, God gives you a new life of becoming like Christ. C.S. Lewis kind of made an illustration. I'm going to adapt it for this morning. Suppose that you want to modify one of the rooms in your house. Bathroom, closet, whatever. And, and you just want to make some changes and you hire... You, you, you call around and you hire a contractor. And the contractor comes one day and you say, okay, so this closet, I really, I just want the door to be on this other side and I want it to open up between both of the, and this is the way I'd like it. And you give him detailed instructions about how you think he can enhance your house. And his first move is to start knocking down the walls of your dwelling. And you're right. He moves his whole family into your house and starts tearing down your house and building a house he prefers. So, but I just hired you to fix this one little thing. Yeah, too bad. Well, that would be a very, very bad contractor. But that is exactly the image we get about what happens at baptism. I bury you. God kills the old person that's captivated by sin and reconstructs a new life. Rebuilds from the ground up a new you. One that can actually be alive to becoming like Jesus Christ, the perfect human being. God made you to be human. We say all the time, Oh, he's only human. And usually that phrase means, you know, when someone has sinned. We don't get it. Sin is inhuman. It's subhuman. It takes us away from our humanity. Christ is human. And we are meant to become like him. There are a million life improvement strategies. There are a million philosophies that will come and say, I will add a nice modification to your life just as it is. I, I, I'll enhance your life with a little bit of meditation. I'll, I'll, I'll add a benefit to your life with a little bit of medication. I will add, you know, some, some uh, creative elements to your life with a little bit of Entertainment. I will, I will add things to the life as it exists now. God comes in Jesus Christ and says, I gotta kill you and start over. And I will give you the kind of life you need to have, which is the life of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, what we're doing here today, coming together for worship, coming together in the assembly, this is not Christianity. This is the assembly. 
Christianity is what God is trying to do with you every second of your life to remake you in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, the true human. He's trying to make you into a human being. That's why the Bible again and again says that at baptism you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's actually the Spirit of Jesus Christ coming to take dwelling within your life so that you can be transformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So God can make you into what He wants you to be. Third truth. Acts 22, 12-16. A man named Ananias, Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law, highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul himself, reflecting on the nature of baptism, says this, verses 9 and following, Or don't you know that all wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is just what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Third truth that the Word of God tells us about the nature of baptism. When you are baptized, God washes your sins away. We do not like to think about our sins. In fact, I don't know how to say that strongly enough. We spend enormous amounts of time, money, and energy on strategies to avoid thinking about our sins. We watch the TV. We, we, we stuff our faces. We engage in all kinds of activities. We take all kinds of pills to try and numb ourselves or distract ourselves or uh, sleep ourselves away from having to be aware of what we've done wrong. And yet, in our weak moments, in the middle of the night, when we're tired, our defenses drop, and the full horror of our failure comes rushing in. Sin is not brave. Sin's not nobly striking out on your own path. Sin is biting the hand that feeds you. It is, it is saying to God who has given you every ounce of pleasure that you've ever experienced in your life, who's put 
every good thing that you've ever had in your life. He's the one who has been handing that to you since you were a baby. Actually, since before you were born, God has been blessing and blessing and blessing you. And sin is you saying, I reject your love. I just don't care. God says, I want you to be with me now, and I want you to be with me in heaven forever. And sin is saying, I will sign away the gift of eternity with God for one little stinking bowl of sin soup. And we know that ourselves. And we'll go see doctors and and we'll go on trips and we'll we'll do all kinds of things to try and numb down those guilt feelings. But the problem is not guilt feelings. The problem is guilt. The feelings are the mere symptom of the reality. The reality is you. I. All of us have rebelled against the God who loves us. And we stand under His wrath. And the miracle of God's grace is that He has provided a way for that rebellion and the stain and guilt of that sin to be taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And He has appointed a place where you, in front of witnesses, can be publicly, completely cleansed of the guilt that you have. And to bring you into a right relationship with God. And that place that He's appointed is Christian baptism. Ananias says to Paul, calling on His name. Wash your sins away, calling on His name. God wants you to be clean of your guilt. He wants that to be taken away from you. And He gives you this blessing of baptism so that that can happen for you. Fourth truth from God's Word about this topic of baptism Acts 2, 37-47, skipping a couple of verses in between. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Fourth truth that's clear in Scripture about baptism. When you are baptized, Christ's adds you to His church. Christ adds you to His church. It's a great contradiction of all of our individualism. It's, it's almost un-American 
that to be a Christian, you have to be a part of Christ's church. Because in America, we want everything to be individualistic. If I join a group, I want it to be a group uh, like Facebook. You know, I can have exactly as much of that as I want, and I can turn it off whenever I want. And if somebody's bugging me, I've got a nice unfriend button. And that's the kind of membership that we prefer in our country and in our culture. And yet what God comes telling us is, you can't be one of mine until you are one of mine. You can't be my person by yourself. You have to be part of my kingdom, my people, my church. It is a lie that we tell ourselves that we can do this on our own. It is a lie that we tell ourselves that, that we can be righteous and we can serve God and we can worship God on our own terms. That is not true. We are far too small, far too frail, and far too self-deceived in order to do this without the community that God has created. And so, in baptism... You are taken out of your individuality and you are donated to the church. You are given to the body and the body is given to you. You belong now. You're no longer yours. You're bought with a price. And you give yourself to the church and the church gives itself to you. This is a profound teaching. I have a whole sermon that I could talk about that, and I will one day, but I just want to illustrate it with one point. Sometimes people think that these rituals are just window dressing, that baptism is just an external act, that it's just window dressing. It's not. It's not. We need each other. I can't just make a decision in the quiet of my house that doesn't connect me to other people. I desperately need other people, and other people need me. My wife, Yodi, reminded me after the funeral yesterday for Floyd of one of her favorite stories about Floyd. And I'd forgotten it, to be honest, but she helped me call it to mind. We had a woman who went here, Meredith Milford, she was a single mother, rough, rough early marriage, had broken up. She was working really hard to try and get her degree. She finally worked and, and was able to get her degree, was going to be able to work as a Spanish translator. Some of you know this story. And because her ex-husband was going to be sitting next to her if she went to the graduation ceremony, she was just deciding she wasn't going to go to graduation. She just didn't want to have that interaction with him. And Floyd Coppedge, who at that time was Secretary of Education of Oklahoma, so he had the authority to do this, he just organized a one-person graduation ceremony. And he wore his robes, as I recall, and, and I mean, we've put on an entire show 
the church here put on an entire show for Meredith so she would have that experience. You need your people. You need your people. And your people need you. And one of the great and beautiful things about baptism that sets it apart from anything you could do, you know, just praying alone in your bedroom or off alone in the mountaintop. One of the beautiful things about baptism is it is a public moment. You come forward in front of other Christians. You confess the name of Jesus as all of them, the other Christians, have done. And you are baptized as all of them have been baptized. And you are added to their number as each of them have been added. You, visibly, publicly, right there where everyone can see it, you become part of God's people. God wants to save you. And He has appointed a time and a place for your sins to be washed away, for your new life to begin, for you to become a part of His church. And that place is baptism. If you need prayers of the church, if you're already baptized and, and want prayers or help of some kind, or if you're ready to receive baptism, maybe today is that day for you, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.